0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wholehearted Healer Podcast. My name is Dr. Avine Banish and I'm your host. I would like to ask a favor before we begin today. If you have been listening to this podcast and have found some enjoyment from it in your life, uh, would you be so kind as to leave a review, a rating and a review, wherever you're listening to podcasts? That really seems to help the algorithm Um, so that more people can become aware of this podcast. And it would just be wonderful if you could just take a moment, maybe after listening today, to just go leave a short review and a rating. Thanks so much. This week on the podcast, I have a conversation with Dr. Cynthia Lee. And I consider Dr. Cynthia Lee a friend and a wise woman. She is a physician and an author whose personal healing journey through a disabling autoimmune condition took her from public health and underserved populations to integrative and functional medicine. I found her book, Brave New Medicine, A Doctor's Unconventional Path to Healing Her Autoimmune Illness, to be really honest and a a beautiful map for people to find their own way towards healing and wellness. And so perhaps you are dealing with an autoimmune condition or perhaps you have nothing diagnosed or defined, but you have just not been feeling your best or your most energized recently. And if, if that is you, I think you'll find some wisdom in our conversation. And I would also really direct you to her book, which I think is great. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Cynthia Lee. Thanks again for listening. All right, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the Wholehearted Healer Podcast. My name is Dr. Evie Vanish. I'm your host, and today I'm really thrilled to have Dr. Cynthia Leon as um, a guest for what I'm sure will be. Um, an enlightening conversation. I read Cynthia's book. I don't know, sometime last year, she has written a book called brave new medicine, um, a doctor's unconventional path to healing her autoimmune illness. And, um, she was generous enough to um, respond. I think I emailed you and we just started a correspondence and, um, I just find Cynthia's Her honesty with what she went through, her groundedness in helping other people to sort of forge a new path to um, health and wellness, uh, I found it refreshing. So, Cynthia, welcome.
1: Thank you so much, Iveen. It's wonderful to be in conversation with you.
0: Absolutely. And so, um, Cynthia, would you mind those who you're very well known in the functional medicine world, and um, but for those perhaps who don't know your story, can you just tell us A little bit about what brought you to where you are now and and what brought you to write that book, Brave New Medicine.
1: Absolutely. Um, Yeah, I was, uh, you know, um, kind of had a conventional upbringing in um, the heartland of Texas and uh, was on my way to medicine and to healing the world, um, saving the world in my own way. And uh, went through, uh, you know, conventional medicine training. And about four years after my residency, I was really, I would say I felt I was at the, you know, the the top of my craft. I felt like I had a sense of mastery um, and I was saving lives. I was, outside of work, I was uh, newly married to... um, you know, the love of my life, we had a young child, Uh, we had also traveled the world. I mean, there was a really tremendous sense of spaciousness and possibility um, in my body in the world. And then that's kind of when everything kind of came to (laughs) a screeching halt. Um, First, I developed A postpartum uh, autoimmune thyroid condition. So when I was a new mother, about four or five months into that. So the, um, you know, the journey into parenthood, as anyone who's gone through it is, you know, it's a complete unknown, we walk into uh, a a whole um, lifetime ahead of us of unknowns. And on top of that, I was um, really experiencing a lot of things in my body that I did not understand, and that were scary. So long story short, I was diagnosed with this autoimmune condition um, as, and a lot of people may have heard of a condition called Hashimoto's, um, which uh, the postpartum form is, it's the same uh, pathophysiology mechanism of that, but it tends, to, um, it tends to go into remission. Whereas the Hashimoto's, you know, not postpartum form tends to uh, become chronic. So mine did actually go into remission a year later uh, by numbers. And I should just say also, I went, you know, I did what any good doctor patient would do. I sought out top-notch specialist, um, did everything that he, you know, recommended. And a year later, you know, my numbers were better. Um, And I tapered off my medications. Um, The trouble was that my symptoms persisted. So... Uh, you know, I was still living a full life. I um, I just didn't feel well. And I would say that my top symptoms at that point were insomnia, um, inability to gain weight. My metabolism was very, very fast. I felt tired, you know, kind of wired and tired. Mm-hmm. And um, and then dizziness. Uh, it was kind of both lightheadedness and intermittent vertigo. So, uh, but life continued and... Um, and then it was during uh, the beginning of my second pregnancy when things really came to that screeching halt. Um, and, you know, in hindsight, I understand that I had underlying inflammation. It wasn't registering in the numbers, but I had underlying inflammation, ongoing autoimmunity. Um, and, and then, together with this, you know, huge shift in hormones. I was also um, visiting my family in Beijing, China, so you know probably lots of exposure to um, to different pollutants and foreign foods, um, time changes. You know the whole stress of it all, I could not handle anymore. So um, it was a very dramatic beginning to what would become uh, chronic fatigue syndrome and dysautonomia, which is. A dysfunction of the autonomic nervous system right which we often take for granted it it controls uh, all the automatic or semi-automatic um, bodily functions like digestion heart rate blood pressure breathing um, so that was completely um, out of sync and it would be you know another uh, decade really of living through this um, and trying to find uh, healing for myself because those kinds of conditions, I mean, we call them syndromes, right? There's all sorts of syndromes and uh, now we're in the time of COVID. So the post COVID, the long haulers syndrome is another one of those, right? Where uh, there are probably multiple causes um, that end up in a, a the same syndrome for different people but that western medicine doesn't have a lot of great solutions to uh to how to treat that so i would begin my own experiment um you know many many people have told me well you are really blessed you know to be a doctor and to have information and have resources and yes that is completely true and it was a real challenge for me. Um in some ways I knew too much of kind of the wrong information or I won't say wrong but the the unhelpful information for my situation. Um and I also it I was very stubborn. I was very much that was the foundation of not just my medical career, it was the foundation of really kind of my life, right? I kind mm-hmm. of operated and lived life according to the clarity of the paradigm of the scientific method. So it took me a couple of years of pretty intense suffering. Uh, I was bedbound for about six months and then largely housebound for a greater part of a decade. But it took me about two years before I actually realized, oh, I need to go outside of the paradigm that I was trained in. And that was the beginning of my journey. Um, I will say fast fast forward where I am right now. Um, you know my my older daughter is about to turn 17, my younger one is 14. So you know it's been a decade and a half or almost two depending on how you look at it. And you know I live a very, very full life um, and in many ways, yeah, I feel more alive than than I had even at that point of the height of my sense of mastery. Thank you so
0: much for sharing that story. I think your story, um, you know, especially the fast forwarding to now and and anyone who's listening who um is going through something like this or has in the past, where you sort of um you come up against the limits of Western medicine. Um, and it's really unclear, like you're sort of in a dead end. And so one of I think the the most brilliant, your book is so well written, it's um, I mean, you tell your stories so beautifully and so honestly, and I love the integration, like your how to heal. And I think it's really interesting that your first step out of those 10 steps, I think is ask new questions. And I love how you share that, you know, we're all brought up in a paradigm, right? For you and I, it's Western medicine that we then, you know, get to a point where we have to it's like, if you're in the jar, you can't see the label. You have to get out and look from a different angle. Um, Absolutely. But, you know, people have perspectives of of religion and culture and, you know, their own roles. And, And so that, I think that making that first step, ask new questions is brilliant because if we can't see from a different perspective or imagine a different outcome, I'm not sure we'll ever get there.
1: Absolutely. You know, I, th- I think for me too, speaking of, you know, stepping outside of our <clears throat> our frameworks, our mental frameworks is, um, or institutional frameworks for that matter, is that um, for chronic fatigue syndrome and dysautonomia, like the prognoses are not good. It's not good for that. And that is a huge imprint, you know, on anybody mm-hmm. who gets diagnosed. And and for so many, um, you know, who have been suffering for a long time, having a name and a diagnosis can actually become it can be a relief. Initially, it's like, ah, oh, you know, I'm not crazy, I'm not making things up. And there's a name for this, and there are other people that I can connect with who are going through this experience. And then then you're faced with, oh, what are what are the odds? You know, how do people fare with these kinds of conditions? What are the treatment options? And so it was absolutely necessary for me to, to step completely out, actually, of the paradigm I had been trained in for a while. I, I was aware of the danger of having that label, you know? So most of the time, people ask me, what's going on? You know, nobody really understood what was going on. I didn't understand what was going on at the beginning. And I would just say, you know, oh, it's, um, it's thyroid imbalance or it's, uh, you know, I have chronic inflammation, things that just were less heavy and less um, putting me in a, in a hole that I felt was would be very, very difficult to climb out of. Um, and the other piece about, you know, step, you, to use your analogy about, um, I think you said talked about a jar, but kind of stepping outside of that is that it's scary you know, the the jar is, I mean, it's useful as information and as a guide for how to live life, but it's also safety, right? So, okay, it's familiar. Oh, we know. Okay. It's almost like having an operating manual. Okay. We know how life is supposed to go because this is what we've been taught. And this is what has worked for, you know, the first 30 years of my life. Um, And to step outside of that really feels uh, both scary you know as an existential experience but then uh there is that sense that you're losing your mind because you're breaking you're stepping out into something that's larger than the reality that you had experienced before that so there's kind of this necessary uh, you know feeling like you're losing your mind so when I have patients or colleagues or friends or family say that like I feel like I'm losing my mind I say, that's, you're on the right path. Just don't lose touch with your body. Stay inside your body, you know, don't detach and go out and into some, you know, cosmic field uh, because you're afraid. You have to stay grounded. So, um, you know, and surround yourself by people who are gonna support you through this journey. So.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean, I think, You know, when you talk about stepping out of the known, there is fear, right? There's an edge that, you know, is that we kind of know where our edge is. And then we step beyond that. And, um, I think your, your caveat to remain embodied is so key, but also I think to, you know, and you, you write about this too, about intuition. And I know intuition is important in your current practice in your life, um, that there is also this quieting and listening and understanding that on some level, your body knows that, you know, your own way back. Um, And when we are sometimes, you know, when we're in that model and we're not getting answers um, this tendency, I think is to look outside ourselves. Oh, if I just find the right person, if I, you know, travel cross country and find this clinic, they will have the answer for me. And sometimes, you know, certainly I think that that can, be helpful. But at the same time, when we slow down and listen, often there's a knowing that we have, you know, maybe not for the whole
1: picture, but often for the next right step. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, for, for my story or my journey, when I was at that really, really low point, um, yeah, it was it was me. It was my consciousness that began asking me questions. Um, but and part of that for me was to, actually, I was seeking support outside of myself. I, I, I didn't have the capacity, the the insight, the the know-how, um, or maybe even the trust, you know, that my body would guide me. Um, the, the thing with dysautonomia and oftentimes with autoimmunity is that, uh, and also this is, this is another piece that I, I tend to, uh, try to, to, um, to clarify is, you know, people always say, oh, autoimmunity is self-attacking self. You know, you need to stop attacking yourself. And I say, you know what, I'm not, I'm not, honestly, I'm not attacking myself. And I feel like that idea can actually perpetuate the autoimmunity, you know, is like, it's more guilt, it's more, oh my God, like you're doing this to yourself. And, and uh, you know, I remember learning a few key moments uh, with the science. I was like, oh, for autoimmune thyroid condition, for example, that, you know, in some thyroid uh, specimens, right, people who were getting biopsies or maybe they, they had part of their thyroid removed, but people who had autoimmune thyroid conditions had, had um, uh, higher rates of, um, Epstein-Barr virus that was detected in their, virus, in their thyroid. And I remember thinking, oh, it's, the immune system is actually trying to heal itself, heal the body. I'm not attacking myself, you know, it's my body's trying to heal. And so that was a big shift for me, right, is, okay, let's, let's focus on that. And how do I listen to my body in that, in that way? But you know, but one of my first steps was to look outside of the Western paradigm, and my body was so brittle that I did actually need um, support from somebody else, and it was an acupuncturist, and that was a really big leap for me, you know, <laughs> to see someone in this alternative field, much less someone working with energy, and so, um, but you know, he was um, he was a seasoned acupuncturist uh a jewish man who spoke uh, the language of science also and so that was a bridge for me i was like okay don't really understand what he's talking about when he talks about chi and yang and yin but i understand when he says oh my kidneys my adrenals are are weak and i'm not holding on to fluids and my stress response is dysfunctional you know so we began to he and i together would piece together uh what we each understood was going on so it became a partnership and that was a really big piece of my healing was understanding that it was a full partner um, if not the primary partner right in my healing journey Um, and that the reaching out for support was also something I had to learn to heal instead of feeling like oh I'm the doctor I should know everything and I need to figure this out So I think for everyone, it's going to be different, Um, but you're absolutely right is that the impulse to look external to ourselves is so, it's almost reflexive. It's so ingrained in our culture and maybe in humanity as as a whole right now as it is. But um, it's one of the things I do right now when I work with patients is to have them look within themselves. And it's incredible how how it totally changes the you know the 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 consultation as well as their experience of healing and it's okay also just to say i don't know mm-hmm. right i have no idea but you know what? i'm still going to connect to myself and that's often where the questions arise <clears throat> the asking new questions and when we you know and often when we're in
0: you know, I, I like the analogy of a snow globe, like you were all over the place, right? So to even that stillness takes time and practice. Um, but once we find that, then, then it's almost like with clarity, we assemble our team. And like you did, you allow yourself um, to, it's like we expand our vision and you all of a sudden see these other helpers who are very wise in their craft, who have almost been waiting for you to turn towards them to ask for help. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that, you know, and, and we can certainly find that within the Western um, healing paradigm. You know, it's, it's not that one or the other is, is better. It's just sometimes we need a broader depth, a broader expanse <clears throat> of, of a healing team.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I I don't see anything as either or, you know, everything is both. And, Mm -hmm. and the, the piece about the vision is really interesting. I mean, of course, you're an ophthalmologist (laughs) and, um, one of the, the things, uh, and you mentioned intuition, intuition as being a big part of my healing journey. And I went into it very reluctantly and, um, and skeptically, skeptically, um, Largely, I mean, based on fear. Like, I, it was just, it was completely unknown. And speaking of frameworks, you know, another framework I was raised in was an evangelical one in, in the South. So I had a lot of fear about anything related to anything, potentially even mystical, you know. And it's funny because the deeper I've gone into all of this, uh, I just realized it's mystical is actually quite ordinary, it's in the quantum. So it's still scientific it's in the quantum science realm rather than the newtonian science realm and uh, and that's why it feels mysterious that's why it doesn't make you know kind of common sense to us and so the way that i perceive or explain intuition to people too is because people will say oh well how do you even do that it's not scientific it's not rational it's like you know, it's like we have, if we have two eyes, right, we can see deeper and we can see broader. Um, and so that's really how I see intuition and then the analytical or rational mind As we pair them together so that it, it deepens and it broadens our capacity to see uh, what is true that's right in front of us. Um, so to me, they work beautifully, <clears throat> you know, uh, together. And that's why we have also, you know, two sides of the brain. And, and a connector between those two sides, right, is to really integrate and pair and um, begin to not just perceive deeper and broader, but actually go beyond uh, the, our capacities of, of the sensory organs. Which is also within our human bodily capacity. So,
0: um, and to just add on that, I think, you know, um, you write about this in your book, but I think to bring the emotional body in, right? The heart. Mm-hmm. So that the heart, really, when open <clears throat> and coherent, um, I view the heart as like the conductor of the symphony, and that when the heart is coherent, the brain we just more, more of the brain comes online and we have more access to those intuitive gifts that, you know, at the moment, I think it's shifting, but, you know, in the past, in the recent past, it was seen as, yeah, like, you're crazy. This is not, this is not based in anything, but your imagination. And now science is catching up. And and so it's, it's like how, if, if we're asking the question, how can we heal, um, to me, the heart is just such an important piece in that, and our emotional well-being, and our um, ability to sort of be relaxed and in body, as you said, and clear in the mind. And how how do we get those to work together optimally?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah how do How do you get them to up to work optimally together? Well,
0: for me, for me, like you mentioned, I think you know, for many people who really leaned heavily into their brains. <laughs> you know, and it's not just doctors for me. I remember a time when I was in residency where like, I didn't pay much, if any attention to my physical body. It was like there to carry my head around. And, um, a lot of times I know I was kind of dissociated. Like for me, I felt like I would leave out the top of my head and just my body, I just wasn't, I didn't honor my body as this temple where, you know, um, where my knowing can reside. And so for me, it's been, um, a journey, back in like through yoga and through breath work. And, um, recently it's just been this gentle practice of sitting in, sitting in a chair quietly and, um, doing some heart coherence, you know, like settling into the heart and, and accessing that in order to, you know, prior to, if I was going to sit in meditation. Mm. Beautiful.
1: For the heart. I mean, as the emotional body um, and, you know, the center of compassion and love is is so key, you know, and of course, I mean, um, just for the listeners who aren't familiar with the the science of heart math, right? It's just really showing that, yeah, when we're in that state of openness and compassion and calm, it's, uh, the, the heart wave, the brain waves sync up with that and create a coherence, you know, in that, in the 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 signals that are getting sent out and healing happens as a side effect in that state right it's like you don't even you're not even trying to achieve healing per se Mm -hmm. Um, you're just focusing and cultivating that state in your body in your heart and then the healing happens as a side effect i mean that that's i remember that that was kind of mind-blowing to me but it's even more mind-blowing when we experience it directly And then once we experience it directly, then it becomes kind of a self, you know, self perpetuating, like, oh, okay, like, now I already know it begins to shift the framework in our minds, like, oh, okay, I know that that's what happens, because I already experienced it, I didn't just read about it. Um, But the other thing about the heart that I so appreciate is, is the heart is a physical organ, you know, and what we've learned from it is that, I mean, first of all, right, is, is just the... The sine wave of the heartbeat is really the flow state right and like what I in a lot of people like one question that people will ask me now is like oh okay well you know so now that you've healed like what blah 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 and I said well I'm still a living human being <laughs> like there are still ups and downs and there are still challenges and um oh, you mean like healing isn't just you go from A to B and then once you reach B in the finish line, like you're just, you're done. It's like, no, no. And my body is really different now than it was 15 years ago. So I'm still learning, you know, about myself every day. Um, and so it's conceptually, I remember I wanted that, I just want to get to point B. Yep. I, I, and, then, and then just stay there you know and then just and then when i begin to really deepen and meditate actually almost on the the heart's um heart rhythm the 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 sine wave is like oh well when you have a flat line you know it's like you're dead i mean you're not in flow anymore and so oh we got to keep it's just to be alive means to just constantly stay in flow <clears throat> same thing with the heart itself right it's like I just, most of us just want to fill up, right? We want the heart to fill up with blood, life-giving blood. And we do not want it to empty, you know? And the emptying is hard. And so just, sometimes I'll just tell patients who are not keen on meditating, or they're not, you know, uh, they're not, it's not something that they're really called to do, you know, just watch a video and just focus on what it is that your heart is doing and then connect to your heart, and it is filling and emptying. And we have to empty, you know. So it's like eating and then not wanting to poop, you mm-hmm. know. It's like, you know, you got to to stay healthy. You got to poop. And you got to look at that, you know, and then embrace that as part of your process. And then it's transforming energy. That's all it is. So um, I just feel like there's so much wisdom that is right in front of us um, in a very, very obvious and fundamental way and that if we can shift our focus from the mass massive amounts of information little bits of information that are out there now on on the internet to the quieter essential timeless uh wisdom that's right in front of us I, i think that um i don't know there would be some kind of revolution happening in medicine
0: and I think when you are centered and you know doing um, the work that you know keeps you feeling good and keeps you feeling energized, and I do that work, um, we feel less separate, right? There's actually more coherence between us and among us in the world. And so um, I think that's a really key point too, because I think a lot of you know, when you were first going through your illness, I'm sure you felt really alone and separate. Mm -hmm. And we almost like draw into ourselves versus um, when we're in a state where we can, where it really comes down to like, well, how can I be of service to this whole (laughs) versus Mm -hmm. what can I take from it? And so um, I don't know if you had any experience with that.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I can actually share with you what's going on right now uh, in my life. Um, because uh, I f- I felt the collapse, you know, or or the risk of collapse into myself, into the the solitary aloneness. Um, and um, you know, three months ago, just kind of in a nutshell, three months ago, my sister-in-law was diagnosed with cancer. Um, two months ago, my sister was diagnosed with cancer, and, and a more complicated one. Um. Then last, you know, so, and then I'm the medical person in the family, too. Um, Then uh, last month, my father, who's been having a lot of testing, you know, he's kind of in that, on that path of, like, seeing one specialist after another, and, uh, you know, and I'm trying to support them each on their own journey, even if it's not what I would personally choose um, as a patient, nor necessarily recommend as a doctor you know, and yet I am right there, their family. And so I want to support them as well. Um, And then, uh, and then my father got COVID. And then my older daughter got acutely sick. And she was, uh, we were three o'clock in the morning, and we were considering whether to take her to the emergency room, right? So all of this is happening. And I'm in that moment with my daughter, I was sitting there and the rest of the house is asleep, and she was acutely unwell. And I felt, I I physically felt alone. I was alone, right? And then I felt the weight of the whole three months. Like, I am alone in this. And not just as a medical doctor, but then this whole other side of intuition and receiving information from, you know, like, sources other than pubmed you know than the scientific database or what is the standard of care and i felt um almost paralyzed but i say almost because you know i've had a really profound uh, qigong practice for the last eight years and uh, qigong being a moving meditation because uh, my monkey mind was way too active for me to begin to sit in meditation. Um, But it is really, um, it's really been a teacher for me through each successive challenge. And so, you know, each time I feel like, oh, my consciousness is much more stable, I have access to it when I'm interacting with my patients. Here, all of a sudden, life is just boom, boom, boom. And I did not feel like I, I felt like I was losing touch with my consciousness. And in the Qigong practice, it's not just my consciousness. It's exactly as you were saying, like connecting with the collective consciousness of, and that large, large field is very stable, right? But even in that moment, I could, I couldn't access it. So what I was feeling was I was feeling like I was under the weight of the framework of medicine. I knew too much, right? I began going through the differential diagnoses with my daughter. I began going into the potential complications of the differential diagnoses of what was going on. Um, I, you know, I had all the same different scenarios for each of my family members who was facing a very significant health challenge. So in that moment of aloneness and, and loneliness, I just... I had the wherewithal to just stop it and just to go into my practice. Even if I couldn't access it, I just went into the practice. And because it's embodied, I just started doing, you know, body movements where I was literally opening up my heart. Like do not contract, open, stay open. And then there's a beautiful, very, very calming um, practice where the hands are cupped, you know, as if you're holding a chi ball, like a little, golden sun between your palms and then you just open and then you close it together with your breath so it's like your whole you know your your palms are breathing together with your breath and your whole body actually expands to breathe with that simple movement and and then pretty soon i felt connected with the breath of You know, the whole collective feel, right? Hey, all the healers and doctors and practitioners and lovers and wisdom teachers, they're all breathing with me. And I'm breathing with the ocean. I mean, it sounds, you know, kind of maybe far out, but maybe not for your listeners. But I was really connected as one. And the incredible thing was that my my daughter, who had not, you know, it was 3 o'clock in the morning. She was so, you know, uh not at ease in her body that she hadn't been able to sleep the entire night. And she fell asleep, right? I'm focused on my my field, my coherence, just creating that sense of calm and staying compassionate. I'm not thinking about information or what I'm going to do with her or for her. And she falls asleep as a side effect. And so it was such a beautiful teaching. So then she falls asleep. I go into my room and um, before I go to sleep, I, you know, I have kind of one of those waking dreams and the information actually medically speaking of what might be useful for her came to me. Right. So there was a clarity and, and I remember just thinking, ah, that's, that's what it is. That's, that's how I can be the best person that I am um, I didn't want to say doctor because i'm I'm not, you know that's a role, but it's not who I am. Um, but if I can be present with love, whether it's with my daughter in this case or with my patient or with my partner or you know, with um, with audiences that I'm speaking to or with, just be present in that love and surrounded in this field that the information that I know, these frameworks of medicine, would you say in this case, are incredibly useful, but they're tools, right? It's not the framework of reality. It's a tool within the much greater framework of the way the universe actually works. And so I said, thank you. And I I felt it genuinely, you know, it was not like, oh, this is all a gift. You know, I, I felt, The opportunity like, okay, you know what, I'm a student and this was a really big lesson that I've been given to learn. So um, out of that came this really beautiful opportunity was, um, you know, my, my sister who's having her surgery, actually, she just had it this morning, was... Uh, as it was approaching, you know, my whole family was feeling right like there was worry, there was you know, concern and um, some stress. And, you know, I could be, I was beginning to feel it. I had my own, you know, emotions around that. And again, the clarity was just there. And so I said, you know what? I'd like to dance. I'd like to dance in her honor, you know, not to be in denial but to fully dance with the experience of being alive and it will help me also stay coherent and calm and loving and not collapse like we were talking about. And so I just offered it to her. She was completely game for it. Yesterday we threw this beautiful intimate dance party that we started out with a circle of just you know, offering blessings for her. So she had her closest friends, we had some family there, and we were standing under the oak tree in our backyard. And then after that we moved into dance and it was so empowering for everybody. So what I have just, you know, I keep um, being taught, you know, with each challenge in life. and, uh, and, And I will also add that I was very aware of my own health, right? It was like, okay, like if I, if this stress continues as it is, you know, my own health is going to take a hit. Mm-hmm. Like this is not good for me either. So I was that—that that was another piece that I just wanted to throw in there. Um, but some of these practices are so simple, but it requires us to to do it, you know, to do the practice. And I think that I don't know why it's so challenging for, you know, for us sometimes. <laughs> well, I mean, what a beautiful offering you just shared with us. I mean, mm-hmm. on so many
0: levels, I, one thing that sticks out to me is, you know, you had mentioned that in, in the process of your healing over that decade, that healing happened to you. It was not something, you know, wait, it's almost like you softened into it and it happened to you. And then mm-hmm. that night with your daughter, um, you were wise enough to do your practice, right? Cause we, if we're lucky enough to find a practice, we really practice it for moments like that. When it's hitting the fanning, we need it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't know what else to do. We're on our knees, yeah. Yeah. but that, that you were able to access wisdom from somewhere. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, so what if it's that, what if it's, you know um, coming back to these simple time honor. you know, ancient traditions knew it. And we somehow think that, um that that it's too simple Mm -hmm. but but yet it's it offers something to us that nothing else could have I don't think in that moment for you
1: absolutely I mean I you know with each practice I feel like not only am I coming you know back to understanding and knowing who I am more in in entirety but also um it is like a dress rehearsal for life. Like some of the cha- some of the practices and the postures in qigong are they are they are really challenging, you know. And so you're holding these really challenging poses, and then the consciousness piece is like, okay, stay embodied, right? Practice calm. Practice relaxation. Move through the areas that are painful. Do this. Do that. Relax. And so then suddenly you're met with these challenges in life where you're tense as well. But, oh, oh, I know how to do this. I've been practicing this every day. You know, I know how to do it. So it becomes very, um, very ingrained in the body together with the mind and the heart. Um, And I just want to say, too, is that, you know, for me, it's, uh, you know, you mentioned that for you it was yoga at least one of the paths, and for me, it was qigong. And not only is it a moving meditation, but it, it connected me with, you know, with the practice that started in uh, in ancient China, probably in indigenous China, which connected me with my heritage and my ancestors, you know, in a way that, you know, was very, very direct. Um, so that was healing as well. And but there are so many modern ways, too, right? There are these apps that, you know, that millennials use, that, um, that uh, you know, older adults are using, too, to access uh, the same kinds of um, practices, but just repackaged and repurposed. Um, so way, you know, biofeedback is a great one, right? Where we become self-aware and we can see that, oh, this is calming, you know, my nervous system. This is making my heart rhythm more coherent. So I just, there's so much, um, variation and expression in these practices. Um, but they are simple. And one of the things that, uh, one of my teachers said was, he said, simple, you know, it does not mean easy. So if something right. is simple and it's not easy, what that means is it requires training, you know, because it's our mind that's the block. And it's also the mind that we need to open um, to access, you know, fully our hearts. So I really loved that. I was like, oh, yeah, anytime something is simple but it's not easy, it means we need practice, <laughs> you know. <laughs> So, yeah. So I was really, I was just tremendously grateful in that moment. Like, so beautiful. uh, Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know what we're we'll wrap here, but before we started recording, you and I were talking, we both have young adults, um, kids who are starting to look towards college. And you know, we talked a lot about maybe there are people listening who have a diagnosis, but I think for everyone, there is a sense of imbalance and disruption happening right now in the body, in the world. And so, you know, I love the last, um, on your list of how to heal, the last thing you write about is find your story, the real one. Mm. And that seems important for everyone at at the moment. And I just wonder if you could just speak a little bit about that.
1: Mm. I get a lot of questions about that one. And I say, well, if I have to explain it, um, it's sort of, or I can't really explain it, you know, in some ways. Like that's for each of us to actually come into on our own. But I will say, so I will say what I thought initially, right? I, I initially thought, and my book is actually a prime example of this, was Oh, okay. I need to change from an illness story to, or a trauma story, you know, kind of, oh, woe is me. All these things happen to me. And I have a sensitive constitution and life is too fast and this trauma and that loss and this and that to one of, oh, a healing story, right? Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to look through my life and I'm going to find those moments of healing and I'm going to change my story into a healing one. <laughs> which is incredibly important it's empowering and a lot of people i've witnessed have done that um that said it is really labor intensive and it it is at least in my experience it was slow it was slow right so where I am very interested in right now, because and this is my doctor's mind, but it's also my my very human mind, is I'm very interested in uh, just pragmatically speaking, efficiency and effectiveness in healing. you know i I went into medicine because I was really um, moved and wanted to respond to people's suffering. I wanted to, how do I, how can I help reduce suffering? Mm -hmm. You know, whether it's my own or other people's um, or the planet. Uh, So what I have found in my own journey anyways, is to go, if we can, to the place below the story, right? So there's, there's no story, actually, there's just the present moment. And all of those other things um, are just fluff. So, how do I respond in this moment? Who am I? At? Who am I right now, in essence? And um, I don't even know if that's a real story. <laughs> so, I'm still exploring, and I'm still open.
0: And that moment below the moment is the moment you so beautifully laid out for us at three in the morning with your daughter. Mm. And it's the moments and moments where healing just happened. And so I think that there is great wisdom in what you're sharing. And I think it is, it's like we can point towards it. And if we've been lucky enough to have a moment of awareness, you know, language fails, but we can sort of point towards. And I really believe, Cynthia, that's what you're doing with your work and with your book. And, um, I'm really grateful that you are, that you're pointing towards that wisdom because it's, you know, if it's someone who has a diagnosis already or are young people who are trying to enter the, the river of this world right now, it's, um, there's so much wisdom in looking just in the present moment I also think it offers us great resiliency, like with what you're going through with your sister and your sister-in-law and your father, there are times where present moment is still pretty tough, but it, it, it gives us that sense of resiliency, even when the diagnosis comes that can't be healed or, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's um, just, just as being fully present, it takes us outside of the story it takes us outside of time and space right so yeah the sense of ah all of the you know it's so condensed it's so fast it's didn't that it's actually it's it's gone so it's just all right what's happening right now how do I respond mm-hmm. and even that can be really intense oh right? yeah but it's just right now and so you know I think the real art of being a human being is that the world operates right and in a very linear and chronological way so how do we how do we do that and be fully present <laughs> and right. how do we do that in dance like you did yesterday
0: despite Absolutely. everything that was going on i think that's really a beautiful just such a beautiful example and probably a beautiful place to end it so Dr. Cynthia Lee, I want to say thank you. I hope that everyone listening, I'll I'll link your book in the show notes because it it really was a fascinating read. And um, thank you so much.
1: Thank you.